0: The following podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It does not reflect the views or opinions of my university or its affiliates. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Hello! As always, welcome back, or welcome for the first time. As the case may be, regardless, welcome to the Sister Wives Professor. And that is me. I'm Dr. Adam, a real-life I'm very real <laughs> professor of interpersonal and family communication and a longtime follower of the TLC series Sister Wives. And it is my great privilege to talk to you about that show today. Specifically, we're going to talk about the season two season finale. So season two, episode 11 titled Sister Wives in the City of Sin, not Sister Wives in Sin City, which Kind of would have made more sense, but that's fine. This is all fine. And of course, thanks to everybody who takes the time to listen to the podcast. And also thank you to everyone who takes the time to send me an email at the at gmail.com, follows me on Facebook. Anything at all really counts for a lot. I appreciate all of you. Let's get to the episode. Boxes and boxes and boxes. Everywhere. Little kids, even in the Brown family, riding their Razor scooters, navigating big piles of boxes outside of their big vacation rental, as they call it in Las Vegas. We're cutting in some black and white flashback footage, like they like to do in this show lately, with Cody narrating saying that the risk of being split up was just too big of a risk, which is not true because there was no risk of being split up, it turns out. This really irritates me. I mentioned in the previous podcast when I covered episode 10 that I do feel like there were good pragmatic reasons for moving out of the big house in Lehigh because of how accessible it was to the public, to paparazzi, to people who could have ill intentions for the brown kids or otherwise. I think a gated community for a family with the degree of fame that the browns have is a perfectly reasonable thing to do if they have the means, and clearly the Browns did and do. That's not the point. The point is pretending, one, that they have to move to Las Vegas, and two, maybe more egregiously, that this investigation was this Damocles sword hanging over the family's collective head, which just wasn't true. More cuts between footage from last episode and the adults' sort of currently, so to say, on the couch, all this culminates with Cody saying there's a lot of unpacking to do. Literally and metaphorically. I think he just meant literally. Cody's outside of the rental vacation home. The sun is just beaming down on him, giving his hair kind of a kind of a lovely kind of halo effect. He's hugging Gwendolyn very tightly, says it's all water off a duck's back now. I guess meaning the investigation... He seems very peaceful. His tone is measured. He's calm. He even says outright, I'm so peaceful. It's his birthday. He says with a smile, It's 70 degrees here. The adults are on the couch, and Cody's explaining all the things that they have to manage getting the kids in school, finding new homes within 30 days. And he's looking around at his wives, saying their lives are completely different now. In a very busy kitchen with about 10 different people, milling around working on unpacking dishes behind him. Cody is leaning on the countertop saying he's been born again and remarks, what a place to be born again, meaning Las Vegas. He seems so serene. He's not doing the manic, goofy, hey it's the Cody Brown show camera mugging either, like you might expect. He seems genuinely to have some stillness, some calm, Now we know it's not like a reduced threat of the investigation because that wasn't the factor that they pretended to be in this show at the time, right? I think he just really likes to move. I think Cody Brown wants external solutions to resolve his internal issues, his lack of satisfaction with his life. And seemingly, temporarily, you almost see like the dopamine hit of change that sustains Cody Brown. In real time, right here, like Vegas will wear off. He'll get sick of it, just like he gets sick of everything and everyone that has temporarily provided him some sort of existential relief. But in this moment, he's almost like on the high, you know? Got what he wanted, the big change, and it might be the happiest, or no, no, not the happiest. It might be the most peaceful I've ever seen him before, or maybe even since. Footage of Logan bringing in boxes, other teenagers seem to be just sort of zoning out. Some are playing darts, some are playing pool in the rental. On the couch, Cody says that when they arrived, all the adults felt this wow, and he looks around, but based on the way the shot is composed, we can only see Robin, who's sitting next to him, and she's not meeting his gaze, so he just ends up smiling very warmly at the camera. Hey, it's one of my most hated moments just like last episode, another one of my most hated moments in Sister Wives history, at least the early history, where Janelle, in this hushed, excited tone, tells some of the other wives, Cody's daydreaming, and we see Cody, splayed out on a couch, like a wine-drunk cat, just lazily playing with the window blinds, while his 200 family members all work to unpack in this rental house, that Cody insisted on moving into for basically no reason. I'm fine? I am fine. I'm going to have a sip of A&W Diet Root Beer. And I'm going to settle my little tea kettle. Let's move on. No, let's not move on. So Janelle seems really moved by this sight of Cody, doing absolutely nothing of benefit to anyone, saying it's been months since she's seen this. And Robin nods very serious. Mary agrees too, says Cody's had a lot on his plate. Okay, let me just say, and I'm not complaining, I love my life, I'm very lucky, but I have like one-sixth as many kids as Cody Brown. I don't think since the day my first child was born, I have ever, in the middle of everyone else doing a chore or doing a task, I don't think I've ever just dipped and just gone and like zoned out looking out a window for a while. Like, that just wouldn't occur to me. But you know what I mean? I just can't imagine spearheading this move, creating a narrative, making your children miserable, making your wives stressed out of their minds over basically nothing because you feel like moving. And then you get there and you know what you do. Just pop a squat, chill out, and have these people feel like this is just this wonderful, powerful thing. Hi, Kitty. Hi, Kitty. How you doing? That was a good reminder that I need to calm down. I think my cat was worried about me. <laughs> Thank you, kitty cat. Mary feels better about being in Vegas, which is a good thing. She says she feels surprised that she feels so at home there. And Robin seems impressed and surprised and says, wow. Robin kind of agrees, though. She says that her body was feeling it, I think meaning the stress, because as she puts it, she slept good that night. And she hadn't slept good. She puts it in months. She even says she lost fifteen pounds due to stress and not being able to eat. Now, fifteen pounds is a lot. I can't necessarily relate to that part, but even not even that long ago, actually, I was having such a big stressful period in my life with just some things that are going on and that are still kind of going on, but I'm doing it better now, but I really wasn't eating for a while, like it was getting to be an issue, not because I didn't want to eat, but just I just had stress stomach all the time. If you've ever had this happen, that kind of stress stomach oh, it's awful, because you know you need to eat, but you just can't make yourself do it very much. I've never lost 15 pounds because of it. I might have lost 15 ounces, but I'll find it. I always find it. Cody says incorrectly that the kids didn't realize the potential weight of the threats because the adults protected them from the reality of it, which is not true on two levels. One, the threat wasn't real, and two, you didn't protect them from it because they were all devastated by the move and you telling them that they needed to move in order to stay together as a family. So, womp womp. Anyway, he says the little kids just feel like it's a vacation. And he seems to have sort of a point, because we see Gwen all excited about the rental, Dayton absolutely living his best life, man-spreading in a hot tub with his siblings, leaning all the way back, kind of looking like a billionaire villain in a James Bond movie, really just Adam at retirement age kind of energy fantastic Cody says while the little kids and the adults are fine the teenagers aren't doing well which is true Madison is frustrated and says they're away from home they're not going to school they have nothing steady to rely on no permanent housing even and she's pretty frustrated and she's coming through as irritable but everything she's saying is true they they don't even have a permanent home they have nothing they have no routine that's really hard that's got a compound the move that she already didn't want to make. Robin shrugs, says it's not like it changed anything on paper, I guess meaning the investigation, but they do feel better. Real estate agent slash superstar slash my future best friend Mona is working on finding permanent homes for the Browns close together. Have I ever told you that I wanted to be a real estate agent? I had kind of a period with an old job, my first full-time, like, professor job it's not worth getting into. But some some stuff was going on and I thought, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe maybe I don't need to be a teacher. Maybe I don't need to do anything else. So I actually got my real estate license and then I never did anything with it, which is the most Adam thing ever to do. But like my wife was really supportive and she was like, yeah, go for it. But I kind of thought maybe I could do it part-time. I don't know if I have any listeners that are real estate agents. Please let me know. But I thought maybe I could do it part-time, but I think if you really want to make a go at real estate, I think you've got to kind of jump in feet first or head first and just really, really do it. And I don't like to halfway do anything, if you haven't noticed. So I never ended up following up on it too much, but maybe someday. My license has lapsed years ago, but who knows? I felt like I would be good at it. I've, I've got a good gift to gab. I'm good at people. I'm good at reading people. I have two jobs now where I read people for a living, which is pretty fun. So Who knows? Maybe someday. Any of you are looking for a new agent? No, just kidding. I've got enough jobs. Mona is working on finding permanent homes for them close together, which she says has been a challenge because they want one big giant house, which just doesn't exist in Vegas. So she's trying to find rental homes close together, which has got to be hard to do. Hunter, thankfully in a good mood, says it's crowded in the rental home, but he says it's pretty good. He does say everyone is just sort of sleeping wherever. Cody echoes this, says it's cramped. They have like one mom each in their own room. And there's one big, expansive master suite. But Cody in the moment says he's not comfortable delegating who gets what room. Robin makes the interesting choice to put on kind of a baby dinosaur, not the mama voice. Scrunches her eyes up and says, yeah, they'll say, she's your favorite. I think Christine made kind of a wah-wah-wah noise, like a high-pitched Charlie Brown teacher. What is happening? What are they doing? I hate this. No, I don't hate it. I just don't like it. You know who loves it is Robin, who finds herself delightful and laughs at her own behavior. Cody winces a bit, because I think there's some reality in this. Mary picks up the thread and says, look, Cody's made it a habit to be good about leaving such things to them. And she even looks at him supportively. Notably Mary, not not only Mary, to be fair, but Mary most often, I think, is the wife that will kind of address Cody's needs in terms of helping him save face. You would think it would be Robin that does more of it, and she does. She kind of takes it over later. But you see a lot of the bond between Mary and Cody here. It's more of like a still under the surface kind of bond. Christine says she got the big room because she threw a fit and laughs, slapping her knees. We see footage of Christine in the room. She's very excited. Says it's the biggest room she's ever had. This is basement wife. Done good. Out of the basement. Up in the air. In the big room. Good for her. Space is important. Feeling comfortable in your like, for lack of a better term, sleeping space. You know, it's it's a big deal. Having control over it. I've talked about the importance of like how I thought it was good that the Browns let the teenagers write on the walls and put up random stuff on the walls and stuff in the big house because that kind of control over your space especially if you're a teenager or a kid and you don't have much control over your life is important. But at the same time, if your bedroom is like your safe space, you know where you go away from things when your kids are put to bed and you can just exist in that space. It's a really important space. So it's just it's nice for me to see Christine happy. Uh Robin and Mary pretend not to be happy. They're in the big bedroom kind of slapping some ladles or big spoons on their hands to kind of playfully denote that they're going to punish Christine for taking the room. Christine takes this in stride and just calls them nuts. Cody, after his long day of sleeping late, watching everyone else move boxes for him, and daydreaming out the window while farting into the couch, decides he needs a pick-me-up. So they throw him a birthday party. In the kitchen, Christine announces it's Dad's birthday party! Hunter is standing next to Cody, both of them have their arms crossed, sort of subconsciously mirroring each other's nonverbal behaviors. I saw some drinks and some food, but I couldn't place anything specific. The kids do seem happy about the birthday party, which I think is great. The adults are on the couch, and Robin is looking at Cody, who's smiling in satisfaction. Robin says she doesn't think she's seen Cody that happy or calm in a long, long time. And Robin looks at Mary, who smiles, like confirming this to her. All the wives seem to be in agreement non verbally. They're all smiling. Cody is looking lovingly at Robin. Back in the rental home, Cody's piling up a big plate of food and says, Life is good. So here's the thing I don't like this move. I especially don't like the false discourse around it. But it was nice just for a moment to see Cody seemingly serene and calm and happy, just because the contrast to season 18, Cody Brown, the human divorce, it's just nice to see him not miserable. Just because I don't personally like someone, I don't want them to deteriorate and get worse, is what I always say. And we've seen Cody deteriorate a lot, and I don't want people to get worse. I want people to get better. If somebody's not a good person, I want them to become a good person, because that's better for them, and that's better for the people around them. That's better for society. So I hope this makes sense. But I'm not trying to be a Cody Brown apologist. Let me put it that way. We see the teens on the couches eating some cake. Cody gets saddlebags for his birthday. Because I guess he's going to take his non-existent horse to the Old Town Road. He's going to get divorced till he can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the Old Town Road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. Got my horses in the back. No, I'm kidding. You never know what you're going to get on this podcast, do you? I have to keep you entertained. I can't do the same thing every time. So Cody with some performative, put on self-satisfaction, lowered eyes, again with the happy cat kind of energy. He's got big cat energy right now. He says, you should know that they'll do this for other birthdays. It's not just him who gets a big birthday. He says showing kids appreciation is important, and Robin weighs in saying, you know, we want everyone in a big family to feel special. It's a nice sentiment. The kids, again, all seem very happy at the party. Cody, in a big booming voice, hyping Dayton up, and Dayton seems pretty overstimulated in the moment. He's kind of slapping at Cody. Cody seems to be enjoying the physical play, says, I'm so glad you're here in Vegas with your daddy. Nice to see them being happy together. Oh, and here we go, just Robin and Cody on the couch. If I have my timeline right, I know what this means. Cody seems a lot more subdued and serious now, comparatively speaking. Says right after they got married, he wanted to have more children. So he says he pressured Robin a little bit, and Robin does kind of a tight-lipped smile while looking at him. She doesn't look unhappy. It's more like a knowing smile. Robin says the investigation hit them in the face. And Cody says it threatened their safety, which is not true. Robin wasn't ready then, she says, but they waited so long, married for 10 months, which Cody calls a long time. And culturally, that's probably true. And Cody says, now we're in Vegas. And Robin, not reacting to the baby thing, but just, you know, being in Vegas says, oh my gosh, and like relief. And they talk about how different and calm things are now. And basically, they're ready to have a baby. They seem very happy, smiling and gazing at each other on the couch. Cody, wearing a gray 2006 wrestling hoodie, addresses the family, as he likes to do. Basically says it's great to be in Vegas, and he had a wonderful birthday. This actually was a nice show of appreciation to the family, in essence thanking them for not just the move, but for throwing him the party. That was an appropriate thing to do. Speaking of Vegas, we now have some quick cuts of footage of Vegas, the strip and so on, and a moving van with a logo blurred out because TLC couldn't clear it, or they didn't want to pay for it. Mary says they're looking for a storage unit for the extra stuff, and she's kind of ordering the family members around on where to go and put things. Cody on the couch says they relaxed a bit, but now it's go time. Did they relax or did you relax? Including priority number one, he says, which is four homes. Christine clarifies close together, and Cody says, yeah, school district two. Mary says Robin should be the first to get a house, and everyone seems to agree with this. She sounds sincere when she says it. Robin clarifies her kids have moved around a lot, so it would be good for them, and I can't find any counter-argument to that. Mona's outside in a nice neighborhood, says she found something Robin liked in the school district that they wanted. Christine is positive about it. Cody remarks on how close they were to the school semester starting as well. They got it done, which is good for Robin and her kids, for sure. The next morning, the kids are getting ready for school, eating breakfast. Garrison in the mirror gelling up his faux hawk, looking pretty sharp. Christine waking up a very sleepy Gabriel, who later we see half asleep getting dressed, kind of looks like my kid. Madison tells the camera in the bathroom she's half an hour away from school, so she has to be up pretty darn early. Christine talks about the time they need for the girls to do their hair, boys to take long showers, making lunches. There's a lot to coordinate, she says. On the stoop outside, Logan says, with some bashfulness, that he won't lie, he's intimidated. Madison smiling at her brother as he says, it's a big school. That's some real vulnerability and honesty from a teenage boy here. It's impressive. Logan always impresses me. I'm sure that won't surprise you. Madison shrugs and smiles and says, she really doesn't care. She doesn't really want to make friends here. So Madison is struggling. Madison is having a hard time. Madison has lost control of her life. And she's discursively pushing back. We'll revisit this in the show later with the Tale of Two Maddies video and stuff like that. But I think she's going through, in essence, a grieving process, especially because of the abruptness of the change. Now, the teenagers had more time to process than, say, the little kids, but that's not saying much. They're moving Robin into her new rental. She says she really liked it. And Cody, hey, it's Robin's rental. So Cody's actually helping. He's moving furniture, as are Hunter, Mary, and Robin. Robin says she hasn't decorated much, as she hasn't had time with all of her moves, so she's looking forward to doing so. The teens are home from school. Mary cheerfully asks Leon, how was it? Leon speaking quietly, so their caption says, horrible, I hate school. I felt this way in high school all the time, so this probably was more relatable to me than a lot of people. I mean, I quit high school. <laughs> I just quit, so I get where Leon's coming from. Christine makes two mouth gestures, kind of with her hands, denoting everybody talking a lot and fast. Goes da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Madison, with a smile, says that school is all right. She liked her teachers, so that's a nice, nice improvement. Mary is still, like, grooming Leon's hair as she sort of erases what they said. Said, so lovely, good, you make a ton of friends. And Leon, sarcastic, says, yeah, a ton of true friends, yeah. Mary disconfirms and keeps trying to touch Leon's face with both hands, like like cup Leon's face in her hands, and her kid hates it loudly, assertively, says, Stop. This just gets to me. I'm hammering this so much, but it's so relevant. These teenagers have no control over their lives. You took their lives, as they understood them to be, away from them. The absolute, I'm not even exaggerating, the absolute bare minimum. Give your teenager control over their body in the most basic sense of don't touch them if they don't want to be. It's not touch to keep them safe. It's not touch to keep them out of danger. You, Mary, just want to touch your kid because it will make you happy. Well, your child isn't happy. And Mary, subconsciously, not consciously, is more worried about what will make Mary happy in the moment than her child. And yeah, not great. Cody's serious. He's got his furrowed brow and shaking his head a little bit, says, Paying a mortgage on one big home will be less expensive than rent on four little ones, which, welcome to math. Christine, trying to be productive, says it'll be expensive to rent, expensive to buy, to have four separate homes. Kind of brushing it off, like, oh, what are you going to do? But Janelle doesn't agree with us at all. Janelle looks kind of put out, not angry or anything, kind of more resigned and exhausted. Says our finances are finite. It's scary. Now, she doesn't sound scared. Again, she just kind of sounds exhausted. She says money is a big, big problem. They all lost their jobs by moving away. Janelle says they're planning on using their retirement funds to start a business, and oh, God. Oh, I'm, oh, no. You are in real time hearing, this is real. You are in real time hearing me realize for the first time I have to cover every episode of My Sister Wife's Closet. Oh, wow. Well, we're not there today. Starting the small business, I'll probably talk about this more. It's actually not the worst idea. My sister wife's closet was the worst idea. It's not like I would recommend, yeah, tap into your retirement account early and pay taxes on it and start a business that might fail. Like sure, that's not something I would blanket recommend. But the Browns, I think, were smart in a way of like, look, we've got all this public goodwill. We've got a platform, we can draw eyeballs let's do something, market our name while the show still exists, because this was early, they didn't know how long it would last. It's not the worst idea to go, look, well, how can we parlay this into revenue streams? Mary Calm says she feels like it'll work out, and Robin next to her nods, but then Mary clarifies, but how is it going to work out? Christine is more assertive than everyone else in this conversation, says, adjust the budget, so be it. Kids need comfort, so do they. Security, stability. And she's gesturing outwardly, discussing money. Shakes her head, bites her lip as if to say, oh well. And says the world is full of other more important things than money. I don't like to shade Christine, but this is spoken like somebody that does not handle the money. Cody, speaking of which, seems to agree. Makes a chopping motion with his hand. Says number one is all the kids having access to each other. Number two is he wants access to all the kids. And Mary says sternly that the moms need access to the kids, too. And Christine agrees, excitedly says, I want that. Picking up on, once again, that being the mom, you know, the primary mom, let's be real, is a core identity piece for Christine. Mary shakes her head on the couch and says, Leon is struggling. They didn't want to move. The kids have no friends yet. And Mary shrugs and says they're bored. So Leon asks for the keys to the car. Leon does have a Utah learner's permit, which is not valid in Nevada. They admit, however, Leon's going to go off to drive and get some practice in a parking lot, which Mary smiles while describing. Leon tells the camera that they had to nag their mom and doesn't know why. And Madison, next to Leon, smiles and says, you don't know why? There's a lot of banter here. Madison says she wanted to go too, just because she's bored. And they just ripped some donuts in a parking lot, which I thought was pretty fun. Kicked up some dust. There's some argument between the two of them, playful argument over who's the better driver. Mary realizes, I think, in real time on the couch that she didn't even watch Leon go drive. And I think she realizes she probably should have. This was pretty funny. Madison starts to get bummed out about being in separate homes. Leon, too, seems to struggle with the idea. Both of them are touching their faces to self-soothe. Leon, as they do lately, tries to put a positive spin on it at the end. So, that's pretty impressive. Hey, Janelle found a home. Mona lets them into the building saying, home sweet home. Janelle on the couch thought that she'd be the last. She really liked the vacation home and she wasn't like necessarily in a hurry. And Janelle also, I think, she doesn't say this, but Janelle tends to be the one that will prioritize others a lot. Not maybe even because she wants to, but maybe she feels like she should. But Janelle says when Mona emailed a property for Mary, it really spoke to Janelle. She said she didn't want to be attached at first, which is smart in real estate. You don't want to get too attached too early, or even early at all. But she said it just felt like home, and she felt guilty for liking it so much. I wonder why it was for Mary. Mary says don't feel bad for liking something, and Robin tries to talk over Mary in this moment, but Mary doesn't allow it. Mary finishes her thought. Janelle seems quite happy in the home. She likes the size of the bedrooms. Robin even describes nonverbal leakage, almost in those terms, said that Janelle's affection for the home was leaking out of her. That was interesting. On the couch, Robin, very wide-eyed, emphatic, talks about the importance of putting things on, as she puts it, the sister wives' altar and prioritizing the other wives' needs. Says she has to balance her needs versus theirs, and it's all about respect, and man is this ever of its time. Christine stressed on the couch about not having homes for her and Mary, says there's nothing opened up that she's interested in renting. She's clearly frustrated. In the vacation rental home, Robin and Christine are fussing over McKelty's low neckline. On the couch, Christine shows some understanding and says, well, McKelty's way of expressing her frustration with the move is through her clothing, in essence, boundary pushing, which is a normal thing for teenagers to do, or children for that matter. Christine's vocalics show that she understands this, but she's also kind of frustrated. So like both those things are coming through in her tonality. She's not being cruel, but she does seem to be making an effort to kind of handle it well, if that makes sense. Christine kind of cocks and sticks out her lower jaw, saying she doesn't want to see anything too low, nor too high. And Mary pantomimes two feet is all she needs it to be, and holds her hands apart, barely covering her own torso. Robin finds this very funny, as does Janelle. Cody says three feet, but it should be five. Okay, so parents can teach modesty if they want. I really genuinely don't have a problem with that. Whatever, that's not my business. This is just one of those things where I think about, like, you know, y'all are being filmed for a TV show that your child will watch in perpetuity, as will millions of people, including like idiot professors recording a podcast about it in a hot room with no air conditioning on at like 11 o'clock at night. Just imagine McKelty watching this and hearing people talk about her this way. I'm just saying, it just, just can't feel good, especially as a teenager. Christine says that McKelty has four other parents that are getting after her. We see footage of McKelty in the kitchen, leaning down to pick something off the floor, and Mary, who is sitting on the floor, instructs McKelty to go find a different shirt. She says, I don't want to see that much of your body. Not the ideal phrasing. To make it about like I don't want to see your body. I get I, I get what she's saying. I 100% get what she's saying. Just I just didn't like the phrasing. She does follow it up with I love you, which you know was a good choice. She's very stern, disapproving, and McKelty quite honest tells the camera, Yeah, I wear things to irritate my parents. There you go. Janelle talks about Utah just being more conservative, and Cody says they're concerned about influences in Vegas, and they. Cut in some footage of the strip of folks dressed for clubbing or dressed quite provocatively, and some just like girls out in denim shorts, you know? But you get the point. Robin shows some good insights as seeing new things like this can spark curiosity in young people, which is true. Robin says they have to decide where they really stand. McKelty, I think, kind of maturely says she likes the way she looks and she just wants other people to like it too. What a relatable sentiment, you know? Whether you, you like how she dresses or not, or whether you think she's being appropriate or not, I bet you can relate to just, I just like who I am about anything about you, and I just wish other people would too. Yeah, that, that spoke to me. Robin talks to the camera with Madison watching, biting her lip. She says, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah, she says the girls don't understand that when things are showing, that's a huge message to boys out there. What is that message? I'm not kidding. I can't state enough, if you like to dress modestly, if you want your daughters to dress modestly, that is your business. I will tell you as a man who is very very happily married to a woman, I've dated women, I love women. I love okay, I love one woman, but you know what I mean? I have never in my life, not one time, never seen a woman dressed provocatively in a bathing suit, wearing booty shorts, spandex pants. I've never in my life thought, ah, that is an invitation for me to access her body, or for me to give her attention. Never. That is a woman dressing a certain way that has nothing to do with me. If she interacts with me in a flirtatious manner, that's an invitation perhaps to flirt back. But the clothing choice has nothing to do with me because i'm not the point of her existence i just think this is worth saying no problem with modesty but putting the onus of responsibility on young women for how young men act is toxic it's unacceptable it's perpetuated by society writ large it teaches many women to dislike themselves To blame themselves for things that are not their fault. It also absolves men of any personal responsibility. This is where we get these ideas of, well, he can't help it. He can't control himself. Well, he can help it and he can control himself and he should. And if he doesn't, that's his fault. All right, I'm done. So I'm back. (laughs) Madison, hard to read as she's listening to Robin say this. She is looking away a lot. She doesn't seem super comfortable, but she doesn't come across as overly bothered either. Robin puts on another weird voice and hugs Madison tight, saying, They're beautiful girls. They're gorgeous. Robin's got weird voices today. I'm not sure what's up with it. Cody, quite stammery on the couch, clearly stressed about not having the homes worked out, points out he can't have Mary and Christine just pick something out of necessity when the other wives are so happy about their choices, which I thought is fair. Christine gestures for emphasis that she can't just settle. She has to settle in, settle down. I wonder if she prepared that line ahead of time. That's pretty clever if not clever even if she did. She checks off a list of things on her fingers she wants. She's very upfront that she deserves all the stuff that, you know, she wants in a home. So good for her. My future BFF Mona, to the point, in the car, says, Christine's house has been the most difficult because she needs five bedrooms for all those kids. Christine does a happy little dance on the couch, though, because they did find it. She says, see, God loves us. And she has a big beaming smile, quite happy. So now footage of moving Christine in. They're really covering a lot of ground in this one episode, aren't they? Got to wrap up the season, I guess. It's a nice place, by the way. Very high ceilings. Enjoy that electric bill. Do y'all like really high ceilings? I like the idea of them, but I don't know if I would want to live in a house like that, even if I could, which I probably can't. But you know what i mean where i live it gets quite cold in the winter so i'm just imagining that the heating and cooling bill with just all that dead space again beautiful i love high ceilings but you know to live there is not an option let's leave it at that people are moving furniture baby truly is crawling around on the floor playing with some sunglasses it's a pretty quick scene mary is discussing leaving utah on the couch just her and robin so somebody had to go back and collect all the furniture and other items that are left in the Lehigh big house. So Mary and Robin took up another blurred out U-Haul to go and pick up all the stuff and allow Robin to kick the pets, I mean get the pets. I mean, I said get the pets. That's what I said. Mary describes the immediate connection she had when she met Robin, and Robin gestures away saying she gets the love of her life with Cody and then brings her gesture forward and says she also gets this great relationship with a sister wife. Note, she says, a sister wife. In the big house, Mary makes Robin smell a giant vat of vanilla pudding in their little fallout New Vegas food shelter they've got. Just tremendous. Mary pauses a lot and thinks and says purposely and slowly, to some people, Robin would seem like a mistress or a homewrecker, which is pretty loaded language. She says, but she's not. Outside, as they're putting stuff away, Robin is confused because Leon, I guess, had told McKelty, to give a cat some cardboard shipping container thing in a cat carrier so that the cat could pee on it. Robin says, wouldn't it soak right through? I don't know. I googled this. I couldn't find anything other than a bunch of websites telling you how to try to get your cats to stop peeing on cardboard. My cats don't pee on cardboard, I don't think. Not yet, anyway. Do you? Do you? Hey. Barbie. Do you pee on cardboard? Do you pee on some cardboard? Do you pee on... I sound like Robin. I'm doing like a Robin voice. Well, that's the last time I talk crap. McKelty says she doesn't know because whatever, Leon is a blonde. And Robin correctly points out, okay, well, so is McKelty. Strawberry red dye job aside. Mary looks downcast again, thoughtful and sincere, and says in the past year... And Robin already nods enthusiastically like she knows what she's going to say. Mary says that her relationship with Robin has been a roller coaster. The courtship was something that Mary, I guess, was quite involved with as she introduced them and kind of shepherded them through it. Now that Robin is folded into the family, Mary feels kind of superfluous. Mary looking right at Robin and vice versa. Mary says she was so excited when they connected and so excited to have that bond with Robin, and she saw that bond diminishing. She says she was jealous, but she's pretty much worked through it, which is not remotely true. She says they're building their relationship together and working on common goals for the future, which is a good way to look at it. She says the investigation found them at a place where they could handle it together, and Robin agrees with this. Big nods, affirming body language. Robin says the investigation could have broken another family, but they became stronger. Oof. She leans over, focused her hands together, as if holding a ball. Says they kind of grew tighter and and stronger, and she's kind of denoting the family... Closing in on itself, like the family boundaries shifting to protect the kids and each other. I wonder how much of this is trying to speak this into being, like the Browns like to do, rather than it really being true. Mary says to some big nods from Robin that this is the relationship she always wanted with a sister wife. Again, you're saying this on TV and everyone's going to see it. I can't help but wonder, watching that back, how Janelle and Christine felt. Anyway, they leave the big house and there's footage of empty rooms, the house in disarray still. Pretty emotional if you're moved by that kind of thing, like you know I am if you heard the last episode. Hey, and Mona found a home for Mary. Cody kind of barking at Mary, by the way, as she's positioning the U-Haul at her new home. Mary just barely got a house in time before the vacation rental had to be vacated, but she got there. However, she is quite a bit further away, more than a mile away from the other homes. Mary loves the house, though. She says it's very open. It's got three bedrooms. There's a big boom from the editor. Cody's fired up. He's upset on the couch, says, Mary and Leon's rent will cost as much as everyone else's for a smaller section of the family. <laughs> you just wait. How about that wet bar, bro? Cody's not angry, per se, but he's more forceful and intense, but Mary has taken this very personally, and I don't blame her. She's dabbing at her eyes. She's clearly crying. Robin is seated next to Mary, and she's frowning. He even looks away with kind of a distressed facial expression. Cody turns to Mary and without any sympathy releases, really are you taking it personal? And Christine kind of incensed, loudly says, I would take it personal, which yeah, I would too. Cody even says the quiet part out loud, says, well, I'm afraid one of you will ask why is she getting so much with only one child? Oh, this is such a big thing. This is such a big thing, the only one child, right? And the worth of a person in essence in the family based upon how many kids they have, and just the amount of space they need. I know there's, there's that part too, but come on, you can't separate it. Janelle, defending Mary too, says, well, she tried to find a smaller house that worked for her. and Maybe they give or take, but Mary deserves the home that's important to her. This seems big of Janelle. Mary does say having less kids, and she looks away, shaken up. Her voice is shaking. She says she doesn't deserve as many perks, maybe. She's kind of darting her head around. She's really not doing great right now. Robin gets fired up and says, "No one feels that way." Robin tries to kind of explain how Mary feels for her and says, "Well, there's a lack in her life. She wants more kids. She wishes she had more." I don't think this is your place to say, especially if it's true. This this did this did bother me. Just don't don't talk about it. Don't acknowledge it. If Mary wants to talk about it, Mary will talk about it. Don't tell Mary how she feels about her fertility. That is so not your place. But Mary, I guess, agrees on the couch, so maybe it's fine. Mary's really crying, visible tears. Cody does admit he was being a jerk about it, and Mary looks at him with, I think, a touch of relief, or maybe just surprise. Christine continues to spin positively, says, Mary's home is big, it has space for gatherings. And Mary seems very relieved by this. She gets pleased, and Christine picking up on this, that, that her comforting Mary is working, Christine gets more animated, leans forward toward Mary raises her voice and says, that's what you like about it. Christine, you can really see in this moment that Christine's role a lot of times is trying to smooth out everyone else's issues. Robin tried to too, but she kind of just, you know, it, it didn't work. Let me put it that way. I'm being generous here. But Christine handled it much more effectively by, you know, not acknowledging the fertility issue. Mary talks up the big living area and her rental That Robin says Cody really liked, and Mary is much happier now, much more at ease, stretches out bashfully and says she's looking forward to Thanksgiving being there. And Robin laughs quietly, so Mary obviously kind of directing that maybe they will do that. Christine cheers for everyone getting into the houses they want in 30 days, and Cody is smiling, gleeful, asks playfully, Who has the best house? And they all assert that they do, which is a good thing for them all to feel that way, honestly. Cody says, He just wants good houses to raise their kids in. These are temporary houses, though. They really have this energy as if they're permanent, don't you think? At Robin's new rental home, Janelle tells us they're having a block party, as she and Robin live close to each other. Janelle seems happy about this, which is nice to see. She's got an apron on, got a lot of unfrosted cupcakes in front of her. Cody seems a bit hesitant about the neighbor's reactions politically, morally, etc. to their lifestyle. Robin says it'll be interesting when the Browns flood the driveway. They allude to the show indirectly. Robin says they don't know who has seen them out there being public, meaning who's seen the show. That would be an interesting thing to navigate, especially early on. And she even asks rhetorically, do you know that I have sister wives? Which gets a laugh from the other adults. So I guess it's actually their neighbor Edna's block party. Edna does a talking head, says she wasn't gracious at first about the Browns, but her daughter clarified, like, hey, we shouldn't judge them because we don't want them to judge us, which is very mature. The wives seem to like Edna, as she said she's grandma and she'll yell at your kids if they're being unsafe in the street. Potentially some really good community culture, you know? We're kind of like that in our street. There are a lot of kids. Thankfully, it's one of the things I love about our neighborhood. You know, if I'm out, typically there'll be another parent of some of my kids' friends, but sometimes not. Sometimes it's just one of us. Like if I have to take the baby inside or whatever, I know that there are other adults that I can trust. Christine bonds with Edna's daughter over both of them burning water. I guess being bad in the kitchen. Where's Janelle? Janelle kisses better than she cooks. Or then? Lan? I don't know. Cody mistakes a neighbor's stepdaughter for his wife, which is not ideal. And Cody seems genuinely sorry he even hugs the guy and apologizes. He's Cody Brown, though. So he then dick kicks it by saying, that's what they say to a polygamist. You know, when he has like a 14-year-old wife, why did you say that? That's not funny. Like, people laughed, but I think they laughed because they d- were shocked and didn't know what to say. You know, you ever laugh at something and then later on you go, oh god, that was terrible. But you're just a, you don't know how to process it? Why would he st- oh, yuck. Yuck, no. No, not funny. Not just... just... Why would you invoke, like, the worst thing about your way of life to these... Cody Brown. Cody Brown. Come on, man. I defended your hair extensions. Do you know how bad people roasted me over that? I think I lost some followers over that, but I deserve it. On the couch, the wives call it embarrassing, which is... that's a start. Cody admits he's embarrassing a lot. He does show some humility, at least. We don't see that anymore. The neighbors are hugging the Browns, seemingly very open to them and comfortable. Rufus, the next-door neighbor, talks to the camera. His arms at first are very tightly crossed over his impressive chest. This guy could probably bench press me very easily. He's kind of rocking back and forth, though, maybe a little uncomfortable in front of the camera, which I can understand. He says that it's between the Browns and God, in essence. Cody subdued and purposeful, tells the camera that he feels God won't condemn him and everyone has their own relationship with God in that regard, and fair enough, I, I can't really argue that. Cutting back to Rufus, and he seems a little bit more relaxed, he's laced his fingers in front of him, calls, you know, it's not love, it's lust if you have multiple women. His eyes are darting around a bit, I think he's uncomfortable talking about this. He says, you can't love multiple women. God created one woman for Adam, not three or four women. Robin, with another practice line on the couch, says, A prostitute is much cheaper than wives, and she kind of raises her arms. Again, she's got this particular cadence she does when she's saying something she premeditated. I talked about that, and several of you, at least, on Patreon, seem to agree with me. So I'm glad I'm not completely wrong here. Robin's also talking about the different culture of Vegas. Says she made herself not judge neighbors for how different they are, because she knows what judgment feels like. Cody leans forward, almost whispering to the camera, wistful and sad, says, Judge us, but please allow us. Which I thought was an interesting statement. Kind of a powerful statement, I have to say. Like, think whatever you want, but just allow me to exist. Interesting sort of, I don't know, existential compromise, maybe? Quick cuts of each of the wives in their rental home. Cody sounds disappointed, calling the block party kind of uncomfortable. And they all start cross-talking about the difference of going to separate homes afterwards rather than all kind of debriefing at the same table in the big house. Mary even trails off, sounding very sad, just as different, different, very different. And Janelle's mood, physically, drops her body language. She looks sad. Janelle says the kids are asking her already, are we going to get back into one house soon? No. Cody says he doesn't like driving from house to house either, but he'll find a solution for that later. There's footage of him packing a bag, driving from place to place. Mary's house especially is further away, which makes Mary nervous for Leon because they thrive on interaction with their family. Mary says she personally, and she pauses. She likes her alone time as much as she likes these guys, as she puts it. Robin has Cody's arm around her on the couch, quietly says to Mary, I don't like it. And she kind of dings Mary a bit, says you need to be closer to the family. Mary gets a touch defensive and says she didn't pick a faraway house on purpose. And Robin says, I know you didn't. Cody says he'll never get used to living separate, which is like the 500th thing in this episode he said that's not true. Says the song he'll be singing until they're together as when are we going to be together. Big change. Janelle talks about how she, you know, feels weird about the evenings because they're so quiet. Christine leads the family prayer in her home alone. She asks, are we going to put in the effort to stay united? And she shrugs and says, honestly, I don't know. Mary says she likes the focus time from Cody in a separate home. So this is like immediate. They have just barely gotten out of the big house and the cracks are forming all over the place for them to start separating. It really, I did not remember it being this immediate until I rewatched the show and took notes. Janelle's worried about this and Christine says loudly, sorry. And Mary again says, I like the me time. Cody looks concerned about this hearing Christine talking about how much she likes the dynamic with just her kids now. We see Christine putting the kids in her house to bed alone, baby truly drinking from a bottle in one arm as they sing the children's praise together. There's footage underneath as they continue to sing of the wives all settling into their homes at night. It's comforting and it's sweet, but it's also kind of ominous knowing how the family will change. Cody asks intently, so it's good that you have more time with me separately? And when Mary and Christine agree, Cody says that scares him. He wants his family all together. Cody arrives at Robin's and the kids are so pumped to see him. Cody and Robin are doing dishes with Robin holding him with one arm around him side by side, kind of squeezing him closer as he rinses the dishes. She does the big reveal to the camera, says Cody read a pregnancy test that they're pregnant and she pantomimes the tears going down his face. Cody says, we have a bun in the oven. I don't like that phrase. I don't know why. I don't read into that. I don't know. I'm just weird. And Robin laughs, though. He looks at her stomach, and as he's speaking, big, broad smile, warm voice says they're expecting a baby in October. Robin is beaming, too, very happy. It, this It is. It's a special thing to share, no doubt about it. Robin says it's a secret just between them, and Cody, very happy, says it's a fun secret to have. They're planning an announcement, Robin says, and she says she hopes they'll be excited. Your hopes will be dashed. Robin is concerned about Mary's feelings, but she's so happy about it herself, she says. She keeps invoking Mary in these weird... She says, well, Mary's body just won't let her have more. You don't need to say that. You don't need to describe Mary's journey in this regard. You just don't, especially not to the camera. Robin goes over to Mary's to tell her privately, which I do think was the right move, given the circumstances, to be clear. She emphasizes their relationship as sister-wives is improving, and she wants to go do baby planning stuff with Mary and have her be excited. Kind of reminds me of the dress shopping thing a bit. The show ends with Robin pointing out that a baby can be a reminder of intimacy between your husband and another wife, which, no kidding. Anyway, Robin says to Mary, let's talk, and that's the end. And that's the end of season two of the show and season two, I guess, of this podcast. But don't worry, I'll be back next week with the beginning of season three. I'm ready. I hope you're ready too. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope this was a small but positive part of your day. Maybe it was funny. Maybe it was interesting. And if it was just background noise, thank you for letting me be your noise. I appreciate that. As always, the best place if you want more content from me is patreon.com slash the sister wives professor. If you want to talk to me, you can do that no matter what. Send me an email, the professor at gmail.com. And the most important thing you can do if you don't already is subscribe, follow, whatever the terminology is. Just keep listening to this podcast on your chosen platform. And if you wouldn't mind leaving me a review, especially a five star review, I do read them they mean a lot to me if you take the time to do that or if you already have thanks for doing that that is really really cool of you i'm dr adam i'm a teacher i'm a researcher i'm a follower of sister wives and because of you i am a podcaster thanks for that please be kind to yourself you deserve kindness and try to remember You own your feelings. Your feelings don't own you. And the outcome tends to be more important than the process. I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.